Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 58 of the In Squash podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson. Hope you've all been well. Uh, today on the podcast, we have Jamie Crombie. He joins us again uh, back on episode 8, I believe it was. He joined us, and today he's coming on to talk about the launch of his uh, new personalized squash training website called The Squash Exchange. Uh, thesquashexchange.com and uh, we take a look back at Jamie's uh, career and how sort of uh, laid the groundwork uh, for this type of uh, initiative on his part. Um, uh, for many of you who know him, uh, quite a prolific career in both Canada and North America. He's won several uh, PSA titles. He's represented Canada and the United States at the, on the world stage since uh, about 1985, I believe, when he came on episode 8. He provided some incredible anecdotes about his first uh, team championships there in Egypt uh, alongside uh, um, Dale Steiner, Gary Waite, and uh, Steve Lawton. And um, he went on to uh, represent Canada and the U.S. well in, uh, for about 20 years after that. Uh, and if any of you know about uh, Jamie's game, very skilled player, but also uh, perhaps even more one of the, the fittest, strongest uh, guys out there and this is kind of where uh, the the squash exchange dot uh, com website uh, is quite unique because it personalizes the training and uh, he, we get into talking about that and and again like I said laying the groundwork in terms of uh, why uh, Jamie uh, is uh, the perfect guy to, to put something like this together uh, right now there are several very very good uh, squash uh, coaching training um, and training websites out there. Squash Skills obviously doing a tremendous job with all the people that they have behind the scenes doing work there. Uh, this one uh, might be a bit more, might be uh, unique in terms of its personalized element of it and also kind of the uh, the focus more on, um, on the training aspect of it which is uh, one of Jamie's um, uh, strong points and uh, we get into talking a bit about that training side as well. So uh, Jamie Crombie on episode 58. And uh, also just before we get started, I just want to say uh, congratulations to the recent winners of the Hong Kong Open. Uh, watched both matches myself. Uh, Mohamed El Shabagi was shot out of a cannon from uh, the first point, and uh, there was really nothing Ali uh, Frag could do about it. Uh, Ali's been playing well since, very well since the uh, start of the season, and perhaps the last uh, month or so has uh, caught up with him. He looked a little bit flat out there. Meanwhile, uh, Mohammed, who had a few early, uncharacteristic early exits from a couple of recent tournaments, uh, came out really strong, really well, and uh, and won that match uh, convincingly. So. And the, and the Hong Kong Open title convincingly. So congratulations to him. And also a huge congratulations to uh, surprise winner uh, Joelle King. She showed great form over the last few years, but didn't get off uh, to this seat, didn't get off to such a great start uh, to this season. Well, she came uh, here, uh, came to Hong Kong and uh, really played uh, incredibly well, especially uh, in the final there. She really. Uh, she really did uh, play well because she would have had to have played well to beat uh, Rini Melwalili, who's been in, I believe, every final uh, that she's played in this season, every every tournament uh, this season she's been to the final. So, and um, had that third game maybe gone her way, it might have been a different story, but definitely uh, the right call on that last point. Uh, it was a very good drop shot. Uh, a harsh decision because Renim was uh, was there to try to play it, but I think it was too good. Uh, at any rate, uh, Joel, congratulations on the uh, the Hong Kong Open win and Mohamed Al Sherbagi as well on the men's side. Now let's get down to uh, the podcast episode fifty eight. Uh, Jamie Crombie and we're talking about the squashexchange dot com and uh, the backstory and how it came to be. This is uh, episode fifty eight of uh, the In Squash podcast, and today we're really, really happy to have back uh, current head pro at the Buffalo Tennis and Squash Club. Nineteen PSA titles to his credit. Uh, he's represented Canada and the U.S. on the world stage. Outside of squash, he's also represented the U.S. in the world. Duathlon, duathlon, sorry, uh, championships, and finished fourth recently in the uh, U.S. Over 50 Aquabike uh, Nationals. 
Now he has a personal training website, which is called uh, Squash Exchange. Jamie Crombie's my guest. Jamie, great to have you back on the podcast. Thank you, Jerry. That that was a handful. <laughs> it you. was, it was, but uh, uh, yeah, I, and I could have gone on. Appreciate it. Yeah, a few things that I've done over the years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember those uh, days back uh, rep- when you represented Canada. I represented Nova Scotia. <laughs> At any rate, uh, first of all, I just want to congratulate you uh, on your recent marriage. I think your wife, uh, your wife's name, uh, uh, Sydney, correct? It is. It is. This is our first Thanksgiving together, so we uh, we're about to go out for uh, some some food in a few hours. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, there's been a lot of that, I would imagine, now that you're, you know, you're still in the honeymoon uh, phase. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Is she a, a squash friend? Uh, did you guys meet through squash? or is that a- I've, I've typically said that's a no-go. Um, you know, keep squash private, and then pretty well anyone I've dated has been out of the squash scene. It's just easier that way. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. And uh, so she doesn't play at all, or I, I guess she's seen you play, though. Uh, she is, yeah. She's Pilates, some walking, a little more, a little more mellow stuff than, than what I do. <laughs> right on, right on. But she, she enjoys uh, what you bring to the table with, with the, uh, the squash uh, stuff, I'm sure. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that's obviously just the fact, you know, the focus, you know, she, she, she appreciates that. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, um, I'd like to, uh, uh, now, Jamie, you've got your, your, uh, your website, which is one of, one of the reasons uh, I've asked you to come back on. Obviously, uh, your first, uh, the first time you were on the podcast, it was a, it was a great episode. Uh, so I'd like to go back and talk about a few of the things that we, I wasn't able to get to, but I'd like to lay a bit of groundwork just in terms of, um, you know, what you're, you're currently uh, doing now with squash exchange, just to look back a bit. Um, Obviously, you were an, uh, an incredibly skilled player who also had great, uh, great fitness, speed, and, and uh, strength. So back, back in the early days, maybe when you were a junior or just when you came out of juniors, um, what, sort of, um, what sort of training would you have done routinely to help support uh, the type of game that you played uh, back in the day? Um, you know, I was already at a young age, um, did a, a fair amount of cross training. Um, you know, uh, through, you know, weight, biking. I mean, I did lots of other things outside of squash. And then obviously the majority of your time was, was squash related, but it wasn't like I didn't just do, you know, repetitive squash cord sprints, you know, in the old days, you know, it was cord sprints, you know, cord sprints, cord sprints. So, um, you know, that always, you know, carried over all through kind of my, you know, my squash career is to, have that ability to kind of just um, just look at the value of other things and not just, you know, and, and I think also to a certain degree, it kept my longevity in playing was the fact that, um, you know, I, I, I knew there's a value to, to doing weights. I knew there's a value to, you know, getting on the bike where it's not a direct correlation, but it actually allowed you to get a lot more training in just because the nature of a cord sprint is just so brutal on the body. You know, the yeah. stop and the start, there's like literally in anything I've done, there's nothing harder than a cord sprint. Oh, for sure. Uh, I'll tell going, you, so I did, I did stupidly. Uh, I did 300 cord sprints about two weeks ago. And uh, the next day I was, I had, I was playing in a golf tournament. I couldn't, I couldn't move. Yeah. You probably couldn't morning. put your socks on. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> but I mean, you think about it. You're you're accelerating as fast as you can, then you're slowing down in a split second. I mean, the the, the amount of force on your joints um, it is incredible, um, and um, you know that there's um, there's something to be said about you know how to do that smartly um, rather than just doing it repetitively again and again. So basically. Uh, you could achieve similar results doing other things like, like, uh, like bike work, for example. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's something that I did when I was, you know, on tour actually is when I tried to, you know, bump up my training close to an event without even, um, you know, putting stress on my body was I'd actually do, you know, one lap sprints in a pool. Um, 
So just a base load of, of more work without, um, you know, it's work without basically tear on your body and just through, you know, years of, of doing that stuff, you, you know, those things you, you, you learn. And I mean, that's, that's the correlation between kind of learning those little tweaks and then now the website where, you know, you know, when you've been on a national team for 20 years, you, you pick those things up and then, you know, part of this is, you know, part of this is passing it on. Right. Yeah. The swimming, the swimming is something, uh, I mean, you see, I see a few guys doing it like Simon Rosner, uh, seems spends a little bit of time in the swimming pool, I think, although I'm sure he does a lot of, uh, uh, hard work on the, in terms of running and stuff. But, uh, what about uh, the the bike sprints and things like that? Are they as uh, they're they're not near they're not nearly as taxing on, on the joints and the body as uh, like court sprints or or a lot of uh, repetitive ghosting uh, routines? Right? Oh yeah, definitely. Like so, I mean, for example, you know, just through learning things and also you know adding this personal training thing. I knew a lot, but this is just now. If you're going to do a website, you kind of have to get the official qualification. And, you know, things like swimming, they say is like a 25% carryover to like a, as a runner and then biking is like a 50% carryover. So that there's value to that. And, you know, biking is definitely more closer related to squash than swimming. Um, but again, you're working a lot of quad and a lot of glute, which is a fair amount of a squash kind of getting down in a lunge. Um, and again, zero wear and tear on the body. Um, unless you're pushing a really hard um, gear, then that potentially can get into like knee issues with some people. But if your revolution is high and um, you know, you're going hard, I mean, you can do minute on minute off, um, you know, bike sprints that, you know, if I had said I do 10 of those um, you'd be screaming at me cause that'd be brutally hard for you. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can make it that hard. What about 20, Jamie? Uh, well, yeah, I've done, <laughs> I'm just, I've done a few I've done. Yeah. 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 That was actually my staple was 20 bike sprints. Okay. You know, back in the day. Yeah. Um, but I mean, those are again, one of those things that, um, you can do to, um, be a high end workout without the wear and tear on your body. So a good place to start with. I mean, I, uh, I kind of, I do, I do something like that. I, I can, I can do 10. And I feel, you know, I'm exhausted uh, by the time I do 10 or 12. But I also do another routine where I do, uh, I do 30 seconds on, like a level 12, and 20 seconds rest. And then I do like 10 of those, take two minutes, and then do it again, like three, uh, three sets. Does that make sense to you, something like that? Yeah, and that's one of, you know, the things that I would, you know, I, that's very prevalent. Can you think of a squash rally? you know, you see the long rallies, but the majority are, aren't that long. Um, so a 30 second interval is actually a little more prevalent than a minute. Um, and then what, you know, typically what I would do is I would have it where, you know, like eight weeks out, that might be, you know, uh, a minute rest as then I getting closer to my event, I drop the rest between each set. So you make it a little bit, cause you think about, you know, how, how many seconds you have off between the end of a rally and the person serving. It's, it's not a minute. It's not 30 seconds. It's kind of 15 seconds. And that's where something, again, where I've tweaked that type of training where you, know, you go from a longer, as you get closer to your event, it's shorter. So it, it actually is a little bit more realistic of a squash uh, match. Right. So this is, probably, this is uh, uh, we'll get to, get to this later when we talk in more yeah. detail about squash exchange. But that's something that you're potentially you're going to try to do for for your customers to create a tailor a program maybe if someone has a uh, a goal for the end of the or has a series of tournaments coming up and you would kind of look at their schedule maybe and create something based on that is that kind of right yeah exactly yeah uh now tell, i'd like to just again look back and uh, sort of lay a bit of groundwork you've got um uh i think uh you've been the head pro at bankers hall in calgary uh, you were yep. there for several, several years, uh, in Cincy at the, um, Cincinnati country club, Cincinnati country club. And now currently in, in Buffalo at the tennis and squash club, uh, back in, uh sorry. Cool. Yeah. Go ahead. No, uh, back in uh, Cincinnati. Um, I think you may have had something called the Tuesday night fitness circuit. 
<laughs> yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, over the years, I'm sure you've had, uh, as a head pro, you've had several of these types of uh, things where you, you put some of the members who would be interested to the test and give them the opportunity to, to test themselves. This would have been one of those uh, things. Tell us a little bit about the Tuesday night uh, fitness circuit and what, what you did and sort of what it, how it uh, appealed or maybe not so much to, to the members. Well, there's a, yeah. So typically it was an eight week program and we kind of run it to like close to the start of a big tournament or, something but um so the point of that was eight weeks when you do it you sign up you can make it progressive from start to end um where you know maybe the first couple sessions were a little bit more um balance based and then as you went on there's a little more cardio and a little bit more strength based as your body kind of adjusted um and it's one of those formats where it was kind of stationed it was um depending on you know number of people we could, I mean, we could have a lot more, but it'd be typically the most would be 10 or 12 stations. And sometimes you went from station to station or you went station, rest, station, rest. And it covered, you know, lower body core and upper body that were fairly prominent within, you know, what you would do in a, you know, to train for squash. And, right. you know, it was, it was fun. And, um, you work out hard and, and there's an upside to those, you know, those group things because it gets you motivated. And, you know, I was the guy that if your form was wrong, I would, Hey, stop. And sometimes I would do fun stuff like, okay, there's one station. And if anyone does that one station wrong form wise, we start over. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. And people like, it was just like, so then I'm not the bad guy. Cause if someone else said, you know, for example, like maybe you did a bridge and your, you know, your butt can't sag or whatever. Oh, sag, start over. And then all of a sudden, whoever did it was just like the bad guy. But those are, you know, things to motivate. And, you know, when you're doing things to keep concentration and form, because, you know, like that's important. You know, a lot of people, when you see that stuff, form is just so bad and, you know, you can exercise, but if you're doing it, you know, not with great form, you could injure yourself. I mean, so, I mean, it's, it's great to go out and do it, but then if the form isn't proper, um, you know, you could be causing more harm, but those were a great way to motivate people. And they were hard workouts, you know, where, Hey, no one wants to do those hard workouts by themselves. I mean, those are your 2% of the population that can go, I want to just, you know, kill myself in a circuit. Um, 98% don't want to do it. So when you sign up for a class, it's kind of like spinning classes and those things. Those are great ways to do it. But this was very squash specific, which is pretty rare. I mean, you don't, and you know, most people I would say isn't their forte and even knowing how to formulate one that would be a prevalent for a whole squash kind of community. So. Right. Yeah, I've got, uh, I've got my own, I've got a circuit that I've been doing uh, for several years now. I think there are 11 stations and uh, it's pull. I do pull-ups, wide arm pull-ups. Uh, I jump rope for about two minutes, speed jump, or high knees, uh, right. push-ups, crunches, uh, mountain climber, uh, spinning jump, one, uh, uh, one, 180 degree jumps, uh, spinning right. jumps. Uh, is that kind of similar to what you, you'd be doing, like those kind of variation of different things with upper body, uh, cardio, uh, core. Uh, yeah. Kind of and then I would, I used to add, um, plyometrics, okay. um, bounding. So we had the lunges, like you said, I would, to what you'd say, you know, I would, you know, I have different ones outside of the ones you mentioned, but the same type of idea of, you know, some, um, definitely some, I mean, lunges are such a part of squash Yeah. and the plyometrics is just an amazing way to really activate and, kind of get that muscle recruitment that um is huge so that would and that would typically come in like you know week four through eight i wouldn't bring those in the beginning just because they're so demanding yeah. even if you're fit you know so it was it was not only was it structured but it was structured with a fair amount of progression so being you know very cognizant of people not getting injured yeah one of the toughest uh in my uh, the the toughest exercises in my particular circuit that I do, uh, I hate push-ups, 
and uh, also the the mountain climber if i get you know if i do like 80 mountain climber you know what the mountain climber is right when you sprint yeah yeah, yeah. uh i yeah. find that that really gets me i'm quite winded and going to the next uh the next station uh, i'm usually uh it's usually difficult after after those after push-ups and then after uh, the mountain climber well and you're pushing blood in different areas of so i would do that on purpose so I would push them from your legs to your core, your upper body, and, and keep doing it. So you basically just keep on, and that's harder. I mean, it's harder for you to do that. Right, right. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes sense for sure. Now you, um, uh, I just like to. You've been a, a club pro for how long now, Jamie? Uh, like a head pro or a teaching professional since uh, the early '90s, anyways, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, ninety. Seven, yeah, right. I, I, I get, I'm get, I, what I'd like to sort of uh, glean from you is, uh, I guess over the years, you, I mean, you've you're obviously savvy enough to handle uh, anything or just about anything uh, when it comes to uh, being a club pro. Now you've obviously uh, you've you've gotten to know how to handle uh, complaints from the membership uh, over the years. Uh, for any aspiring club pro out there. Uh, what were some of the sort of techniques that you would employ over the years to dealing with um, members' uh, complaints? Complaints from well, the members. I mean, yeah. I mean, you have to you have to listen to the complaint, um, obviously, and, and see like you you know you're obviously caring about you know what what their complaint is. It's real. I mean, and so it's real to them. I mean, that's that's the bottom line is, um, and then you're either trying to see how you can um, agree and, and, and help them in that, or you have to tell them that, Hey, because in many cases it's, it, their complaint is real to them, but as a club pro, you're looking at the majority of the members. So they could want something to happen, but they're like the 1%. Um, so you have to hear and listen. And sometimes you have to explain to them, you know, the reasons why that, that can't happen. And that's never an easy, that's a never an easy answer. When you think about typically, these are typically fairly prominent people and they're used to getting their way. Um, uh, what would, so over the years, what are some of the more common uh, complaints that you've had to uh, manage uh, in your time and that, that you might sort of advise uh, uh, someone on how, how you would have handled it and maybe the mistakes you made and how you've sort of, uh, address those over the years? I mean, I, I mean, I guess the best way is to be, you know, um, forward about things and just, you know, in many cases to me, it's like you're being proactive. So you, you, you're, you know, I'm looking in advance for how that might, like, for example, you're running a tournament. And so now the guys that normally have their court at Friday at five can't have it anymore. That's a, that's a, every squad, you know, Hey, I can't get my court on the weekend anymore. I've been doing, you know, well, we got a tournament and, so to me, I would send out an email, you know, in advance to say, Hey, I'm sorry guys, but we're having this tournament. And you, you, you mentioned the pluses and we happy for you to enter the tournament. Uh, but unfortunately we're going to have to take your court that I know you're used to getting. So almost being proactive to me is one of the ways through the years to kind of already thinking about what people are going to complain about. Right. Um, that, that's probably my biggest kind of learning lesson for me is like, okay, how do I think people are going to respond to this in a negative way? Right. And because you're always going to get people that that's awesome. We're having this tournament. It's great to have new competition, but there's always going to be someone's like, well, we, you know, we have visitors to the club. I don't, I don't play in tournaments. That's, that's real. And that's a real answer for them. Um, and you know, Hey, or you say, well, we had the calendar already out in September this is now February, so we have let you know that, you know, six months in advance. Um, so, you know, that would be kind of my biggest um, kind of advice is try to be proactive with that. And if you get on top of it early, it's less of a deal. You know, it, they'll still mention it, but they're appreciative that you've been forward thinking and yeah. thinking about that. So that, that, that would be probably my biggest kind of advice. Yeah. You can nip anything in the bud, uh, by approaching it that way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, uh, you also, uh, over the years, I, I've, you've had another approach to uh, dealing with the 
members' complaints, the 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 secret uh, committee. Yes. Yeah. Well, can you tell us a little bit about the secret committee? And I know I know it's all fun, and, and that's what it's meant to be. Uh, so, and, and that, those types of things are great for for clubs as well. So, how did that play out for you? And and where, uh, sort of what is the the secret committee? So when it came to either um, seating tournaments or handicapping tournaments, um, it, at one stage in Cincinnati, our two most, our biggest tournaments were both handicapped tournaments, um, which for a squash pro is Sorry, not- sorry, Jamie. I mean, that's really interesting. I, I, and I don't think, I'm not sure how common handicapping is in squash tournament. I've only heard of it here and there. It's, that doesn't seem like it's widespread. Is it, uh, uh, did, did you find that to be of value, uh, the handicap uh, oh, yeah. for squash it's, tournaments? It's awesome. I, I loved it because what happens is it, it allows the D player to get on court with the A player. Right. So, you know, and, and, and you know, you, you, you go to a club and, and your D player walks by the A player and doesn't even know him. And you know, being members of club for like 20 years and like they know them by name, but don't know them. So there's no interaction and handicap tournaments get them together. And there's just that cross kind of pollination of personalities in a club that they're already there, but they, it's amazing how many people stay in their little, you know, their little group of six to eight players and they walk by, you know, whether it's the A player walks by the D player, or the, you know, or the you know 5.5 to the two point, whatever, legal rating or ranking, whatever, but they don't interact a lot. So when you put them in a handicapped setting, uh, you now have it where they now are interacting and, and that's, and they're interacting if the handicap is correct in a, a manner where they can hang together, you know, and it's right. to me, the handicap is if the handicap is correct, it should literally be a coin toss. Yeah. Yeah. You know, meaning that, you know, the D player could beat the A player, 50% of the time. And is there a, is there a handicap, uh, like a formula that that's used or, you know, D if you're, if you're in D for example, you, you'd get uh, 12 out of, or, or sorry, eight out of 11 points or, or, you'd stand um, eight, or is there a certain sort of formula or is that? No, no that's, to, why, uh, that's why secret committee came into play. Oh, okay. So <laughs> what you would do is, but you would, so it'd be a two point swing, um, so if like, say you say I'm, I'm the 2.0, you're the 5.5 ranked player. Mm-hmm. Um, and you won the game, you, you, you drop two and I would gain two. So it's a point four point swing. Right. So, so every time there's a big swing back and forth. So it almost made it a guaranteed, almost three, two victory for some person. It, you know, we, we used to have it where I would do a stat on how many of the, the matches went to um, five. And I tried it to get a 75% of matches went to five. That was like, um, great. that was kind of the goal. And then just through that where if, you know, they didn't, and that's where, you know, people complain, you know, my, my, my handicap was too high or my, you know, his was too low. Blah, blah, blah. And that's where for, a, for, a to, to not make your, club pro is running these being the bad guy we created uh, a secret committee and okay. so what would happen was if you entered the tournament we would randomly pick one of the entrance name and then you would be now the guy who supposedly made the rankings the seatings the handicaps so okay. he got he got the earful for all the okay. so we always made that person be the kind of the fall guy right and Right. It made it better because ultimately that switches every tournament and you don't really want your club pro being the bad guy. No, no, no. There's no upside to, you know, to, for that to happen. And, you know, it, by that being just this random selection, you know, that was already, you know, kind of everybody was known that if you enter, you could be you know, head of the secret committee and all complaints go your way. Right. So, <laughs> and they also sort of emphasize, they kind of got empathy for you in terms of how much, you know, crap you got from the members. Right. So you kind of, you know, you're not, they're now in, 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 in your, um, in your scenario. So they, 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 they feel for you. Yeah. You hear about it all the time, even in golf though. I mean, you've got a guy whose handicap is way, 
it's just through the roof and he's shooting uh, in the 80s, right? So the, the members will complain about that guy to, to the club pro. And then it's just, but it's in the system, right? It's all calculated after every round. It, it, it might be something worth uh, looking into in terms of uh, squash as well. Um, yeah. And, and if we, we, we have in the past had it where all of a sudden some random guy mid-tournament received a letter and his handicap either got dropped because it was too high or vice versa if we realized it was way out of whack. Yeah. Received a letter? <laughs> yeah, from the student committee. Okay. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Who, uh, who penned uh, the letter, the secret? Uh, oh, it, it was secret. secret. Yeah, secret no, no one ever knew. No one ever oh, knew. No one knew. Okay. Okay, great. <laughs> Everyone denies everything. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah, that sounds, yeah, it's a great thing. I think that the handicap system in squash, I, I play a couple of buddies, uh, around where I am now and, uh, you know, I'll give them eight or, you know, not seven or eight points out of 11. And then, you know, the games are always, uh, down to the wire. So right. It's fun. Well, that way you can fill a draw too. I mean, if you think you're in an area and you don't have that many players, well, if you're kind of breaking up in divisions, fine, that is what's going to happen. But once you put a handicap, you just need, you know, hey, if I draws 32, just 32 of anybody who wants to enter. There's no restriction, you know. So that yeah, was definitely not applied to that. Definitely. Um, now, Jamie, I just want to look back uh, just a little bit again. Um, now, I know you grew up and played uh, most of your early uh, squash, your junior squash, I think, in, in the Calgary area. And uh, one of the great uh, Canadian players uh, of all time uh, just happened to be from Calgary, uh, Dale Steiner. And uh, I know that uh, he had an impact on, on you as a player uh, over the years. Uh, I guess you may have looked up to him as a junior. Um, what was it about Dale uh, that you admired as a player and uh, how did he impact uh, your game uh, during that time? Uh, just, uh, I mean, in terms of a, a guy, just a, a great guy with, you know, kind of his demeanor on and off the court, um, just a down to earth, you know, Canadian champion. He was Jahangir Khan's training partner for, I think he's been a year and Jahangir loved playing with him because he just, there was no quit. Yeah. He would just, you know, there was zero quit. And so, you know, he took me under his wing when I was kind of the end of my junior career and, you know, like, <laughs> there's one, one story where you say, hey, Amy, we're going to University of Calgary track and do some 400s. And so I think we did, I don't know, like 24 on 75 second cycles. So you're 75 on 40 seconds, 45 seconds rest and you do it again. And that's hard. I mean, that was yeah, crazy hard. And so then normally Dale would just drive me home and he goes, no, let's just have lunch. So I thought, okay, this is weird. <laughs> and so then so we have lunch and he goes, okay, well, we have to go to UC's um, fitness um, center because uh, Squash Canada has told us we got to do a VO2 max test. So after doing like 20 whatever 400s with two hour rest, we have to do a VO2 max test. At university. And that just, you know, Dale in a nutshell, just, he thought that'd be totally funny to, you know. <laughs> yeah. And how, how and did so that go? Oh, well, I mean, well, it's, you go until you basically can't run anymore. So, um, I mean, it was, I mean, it was exhausting. I mean, you did but, that already earlier uh, in the day. Literally. Yeah. We already did that two hours previously. So, um, but that was something that Dale would do. And, you know, another time we did it and, and Dale passed out on the treadmill. You know, typically if you ever, you've ever done one when they, when they ramp up the speed at the end, you know, when you're getting close to the very end, they kind of go thumbs down, you know, your, your hands flat, meaning keep it the same or thumbs up, move up the gears. And yeah. Dale was, and then he actually like passed out doing, and that was just kind of, you know, you're growing up with that type of, role model where he basically he goes till he can anymore and it it's just something where it just you know carried over because i think you know to me it's one of the four requirements with squash i mean yeah. you know I, I think about you know technique uh you know tactical um 
mental and physical. I mean, it's, it's, it's something you have to do at a high level. It's, it's not a choice. Yeah. It's just something that you have to do. Um, and I, I think the sooner people realize that it is not a choice, but to be successful, you have to have, um, you know, good physical background to your game. Um, and you know, so then that, that, that to me was something that always Dale basically instilled in me and I've carried it on ever since, but you know, it, it's kudos to him and just the way he trained and, and just his work ethic where, I mean, literally, I mean, if he had an off day, it was just, it was only because he just didn't have any left. It wasn't that he's like, you ever felt that he left something out there. Yeah. Have you, uh, I mean, over the years, I, I, I've gotten to see you play several times and I don't ever recall, uh, even if, you know, even if I'd seen you uh, lose a match, I don't ever really recall you uh, being completely exhausted, but I'm sure uh, we've all played uh, where it's, where it's happened um, uh, some more than others. But uh, do you remember any matches in particular where you may have lost because you might've been uh, not quite fit enough to uh, sustain the, the, Actually, the level of play. My, my last kind of international competition, it was the Pan Am games in, um, in uh, Rio and um, I'm playing against Mexico. I think I'm up seven to the first game and died. Wow. Literally had not an ounce of energy left. And that's like, we're talking the first game. And um, so I lose the next two games and I'm sitting there watching the next guys on and I start to shiver and uh, went into major fever and I came down with, I had dungate, dungate fever. So I got bitten oh, by a mosquito. And so that was basically, you don't, you don't, it's not something you die from, but it's kind of two it's days scary. of absolute health. And um, so, so you had to go, it, go to the, obviously you're in the hospital for a few yeah, they IV and well, actually, they no. I was in, I was in um, twenty four hour bed check by the U.S. medical. Um, okay, because we were at the Pan Am game, so they have a full medical team there. And once my once your fever breaks, you're fine. So it was all about kind of fluids, but that was kind of the last time I would say that. I mean, very early on in a match, I had nothing left. But that wasn't because of a lack of fitness. That was just that was something uh, outside uh, of that. Uh, yeah, but it's still it's one of the yeah. things that I, I remember that because it's just so, you know, yeah. it was just so obvious Pretty that scary. I was. Yeah. No, no, no hangover uh, 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 anecdotes though, like like a Steve Lawton or anything like that. Though. Um. <laughs> well, no. I mean, if I think I think I got invited to a. An exhibition in um, match in, in uh, Nova Scotia one time, and <laughs> we, we were not we were not allowed from when we got picked up at the airport. We were not allowed to get to the squash center till we finished like twenty four beers in the van. Okay, <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, in the van. Okay, in the van. Yeah, so we weren't allowed to like be dropped off until we each had. Who, who um, was driving the van? Do you know? It wasn't Graham it, Waters. I, yeah, I'm not sure, but that was, so that was one of those kind of, um, exhibition weekends. So it's, that was a rarity, but it was a fun rarity. Good fun. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, Jamie, that brings us to, uh, what we, what you have, uh, on your plate now, which is, uh, this new initiative, uh, squash exchange. Uh, now I laid out a little bit of your background there, but, uh, uh, could you tell us a little bit more like sort of how it, how did it uh, all come about? Where did the idea come from? Um, so it was, I guess a bunch of combination of things. So it's one is, you know, when you've, I guess I first made the Canadian team in 2000 and well, no, 1985. <laughs> and then I, that was for Canada. And then I ended kind of playing the national teams in 2007 in the, the Pan Am games. So, you know, that's 22 years on the national team. So you kind of have learned some tested and true methods and how to stay, you know, fit and stuff. And, you know, like to me, it's, there's a fair amount of, of, of things that are consistent over the years. And then you're kind of adding any new addition to, you know, um, new training techniques, you know, you know, for example, just in, in, you know, just in forms of just 
stretching. I mean, before people used to do static stretches. When you don't ever do static stretches before you exercise anymore, it's all dynamic. Yeah. Um, by doing static, you actually lose some of the explosive um, abilities that your muscles can do if you do that. I still see some people doing static stretching. I'm like, what are you doing before <laughs> exercise? Yeah. Um, and then just, you know, those things you've learned over the years. And then with doing some of these multi sport um, kind of events, you realize the species how specific they are and how progressive they are and how much they track kind of what they do to kind of get it from a, you know, from a, so we're two months out and then here's our, our race day and whether you go race day, event squash, whatever. So that was another level of kind of metrics where um, I've learned through that, that can be a carryover. Oh, but Jamie, my- Jamie, just sorry for interrupting, but you, uh, I, I noticed on, I think it was one of your one of the du- duathlon. Uh, um, I think it was your five k time. What's your best five k? Your 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 best time for five k? I mean, I only started running at like forty. So I mean, I don't. I mean, uh, like fifteen, fifteen something. That's 15. crazy. That's that's amazing. Fifteen. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I. Yeah, I was. That's I mean, great. I was. I mean, I, I really struggle to get it under 20, uh, but right. 15. It, it's, it just, you know, that's just something that I've been able to do, um, you know, and, and slowly, I mean, I'm never always like that, but it's just, I've always known how to basically go from a, I'm four months out, I'm running 19 and, you know, I'm slowly adding more speed works or adding more endurance and then just slowly and it is slow it is you know getting that progression where you're getting the benefits um because if you overdo it then you know you you, it's more of a setback um right and i've just always kind of had that where that tracking and that basic trying to get it where you're slowly getting yourself to that peak has generally worked over time you know it's you know you, you don't get everything right every time that's part of that's the reality of things that's why people don't win every single tournament except for Jahangir for five years. But, um, (laughs) but I mean, that's the type of things where, you know, there's sometimes there's, you're naturally better at one thing than the other. And that's, that's not uncommon, but then there's the other part of like, how do you, how do you, you know, train your body to become better? I mean, that's, there's ways to do that. Um, and that's what you bring, uh, to, to the squash exchange, uh, website. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. and, And it's, you know, one of those, you've always been in, I've always been in a club setting. So you're basically restricted to, um, the membership. And I thought, you know what, you know, this world's global now. I mean, there's with YouTube and whatever, there's absolutely no reason why this can't go out there. And then people say, Hey, by the way, I, you know, I've been at a plateau right now. Hey, maybe Jamie can look at it and give me two or three ideas and bingo. I mean, it's, it's not much. I mean, it's one of those things to me. It's, you know, when I, when I talk about a victory in squash, it's, it's a three to 5% difference in whether it's technique, anything that makes that difference in a close match from winning and losing. It's so marginal, but you know, if you do more and more things, right, then there's more likely that that's going to flip. And I thought, Hey, this is a great way that, you know, I throw it out there and if hopefully there's interest, that's great. And I think, I'd like to I think there definitely that. should be uh, interest. There's a lot. I mean, as you know, there's there's the the uh, squash skills website, which is quite good for what it does. And then several other uh, guys are out there with their own uh, stuff coming out. But no one seems to sort of uh, be doing what you're doing. And that's kind of tailoring uh, specifically to certain needs of different people. Well, and yeah, and some of this stuff is so generic, you know, what's out there and it's like, this would be fine too. And that's slightly where, you know, when I kind of got into the, the multi-sport, people have fitness coaches, you know, and online coaching is huge in multi-sport. And I thought, you know what, most squash pros have no idea how to tailor a fitness um, regimen in place. And people know the coach, you know, drills and technique, but and to me, it's one of the four requirements. You, you have to have, you know, a fitness regimen in place. It, it's, 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 it's not a choice. Yeah. It, it is not a choice. And you, know, you think about a tournament is if you want to be better, 
you're playing longer in tournament. As you want to get better, you're playing better players during a tournament. I mean, it's inevitable. And, you know, fitness correlates to squash in terms of you feel that you can hang in there. And I always say, so if I can hang in there and making the right choices, if you're second guessing your, your fitness level, you're going to make bad choices. Yeah. Um, I think, so, I think nowadays, uh, uh, and, and you, you, you know this quite well, the, the master squash scene is really, really thriving. I uh, spent the last few years, I would imagine that, uh, and, and obviously you have to be very careful when you're in your forties and fifties in terms of uh, how hard you're going to train because, uh, you know, so easily, like you mentioned, uh, injuries can come up or, you know, just achy joints and things. So I think there's definitely, there are probably quite a few uh, masters players out there who could benefit from something like this as well. Well, and that's when you kind of know that, you know, you take someone on and you're like, Hey, this is what you do. And to me, it's not about where you are you know, you are where you are. And then you look at that and then you can go, okay, so what are we, what's kind of lacking? And then from that, you know, get things that are more specific. Like, I mean, I always, you know, I, I've heard of this coach and I, you know, I'm not going to throw anyone, but like he doesn't believe in running. Well, what do you do on a squash court? You run. So, you know, you need to have specific things that are relative to uh, squash. And then, you know, for anyone who's a master, you cannot just jump in and then go full throttle. That's just a recipe for disaster in terms of an injury. Right. It has to be. Because to me, it's, it's one, you've got to get enough lag time between now and, you know, say three months from now. Because to me, it's, nothing's going to happen in a week. Nothing's going to happen in two weeks. No. But it's one of those things when you're adding a little more time, a little more intensity, a little more specificity to your, what you're doing in workouts, and all those things start to come together. Um, and, and then, you know, the flip side of that is you, you're, you know, you, once you put in the work, you're mentally stronger, you know, you know, you put in the work and you can start believing in yourself. So some of those choices become a lot better because you know, Hey, I've been working out like a maniac the last eight weeks. I started off on the treadmill for say 30 minutes. And now I'm up to 40 minutes. Well, that's, that's a real number. I was starting off at, you know, 12 miles per hour, sorry, that, eight miles per hour. Now I'm up to like 12, whatever that happens to be. Right. But you know, those allow you for that mental side. So there's a, it's not just physical. It helps you in the mental side. It helps you in the tactical side as well. Well, that mental so, side too, to, to be able to, I mean, we've all been there uh, at, at a time in a match where, you know, the end game is near and uh, you're, you're huffing and puffing. But if you, if you've been through it, with the training side of it, then you, perhaps you can get through, through the match uh, successfully. Right. Right. Yeah. Now on the, um, on the, on your website as well, I noticed uh, you've got some different packages and then, then you have the, the, the two things there at the end, the strategy element and the, the mental side. So I think uh, just in terms of, uh, you know, laying out what the website, what, what's involved with it, maybe you can uh, tell us a bit about that, the strategy, what, what, would be included in, in your strategy sessions and then also perhaps uh, the mental session? Um, well, so two, you know, just one, I just wanted to add some fun things in terms of people want to just get some, the strategy is about different type of players. I just thought kind of had picked 12 different types of players and then just each, each month there'd be a different strategy against a different type of player. It'll be a monthly uh, focus. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. This month and is the punk. The punk. Yeah. The uh, guy's face and being a jerk. And everyone, every club member has one. So, uh, <laughs> so I just thought, you know, some are a little more nice playful. Nice guy off the court, but on, on the court. Yeah. Different animal. You see those guys are actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I just thought it was something in terms of, you know, people don't know how to play. Like, you know, for me, one of the ones is, is a lefty. I know the advantages of being a lefty. And a lot of players get screwed up against a lefty. And so each, each one of these months kind of a, you know, kind of what, what to, what to expect out of that type of player, you know, how to prepare. Yeah. Cause to me, it's kind of, you know, you need to have those things in place where, you know, knowing in advance what you're going to face is a huge part of kind of making that adjustment, you know? Um, and too many people are kind of once 
if they don't think about what they're going to experience in advance, they can't handle it in the moment. So if you've walked through all the different scenarios in advance, you get, oh, I already walked through that in my head, you know, two days ago when I thought about, okay, I'm, he's going to be blocking me. So I already, I've already dealt with him blocking me. I've already got that through my head. You know, he's going to, you know, be in my face. I've already dealt with that in my head. So that's a big thing in terms of when you're, you know, dealing with players is, you know, already in advance knowing what you're going to face. Yeah, definitely. I, I can, I'm just trying to think now. Um, I think lately as a master's uh, player, the, the, the type of guy who gives sort of gives me a little bit more trouble, not necessarily uh, so in the past, is uh, more of a, a, like a power, younger power player who, who has a bit of speed. So, right. You know, uh, like a young gun, I guess. You'd call that guy the young gun. Right. Yeah, and it's like, so how do you, you know, if, if the balls are in the middle, the guy's going to hit the ball hard. If you overhit the ball, the guy's going to hit the ball hard. I mean, how do you neutralize someone who hits the ball hard? I mean, you take it out of their power zone, you know, stretching them out. You also limit their ability. You know, tight shots are going to work against a power player because they typically just, if it's tight enough, they just have to push it back down the wall. Um, so, I mean, those are the type of things that it goes through um, from the strategy viewpoint. And then from the mental viewpoint, I mean, you know, when I first made the team, you know, there was Gary Waite and myself and, and we had some, um, we were volatile players. So Squash Canada hired a sports psychologist and because okay. yeah. um, you know, they didn't really want us traveling internationally if we were going to implode. So um, I didn't realize was, Gary was uh, volatile that way. I guess he would maybe a bit back in the day, was he? Oh yeah, no. There's a yo. <laughs> so I only saw him winning uh, at the Canadian Nationals. So uh. yeah, no. There was yeah, there was an incident. Incident. So yeah, it's. I mean, everyone's had their moments to a certain degree. But it, you know, regardless, it just one of those things where you kind of realize that in many cases, you know, people's biggest um, limiting factor is 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 their their own their own mind you know, what's going through their head, you know, whether it's, I can't, or those kind of negative thoughts that ultimately get in your, 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 your mind. And, you know, whether it's, you're, you're not living in the moment, um, getting distracted, focus, I'm not believing in yourself, just all those things become a big part of it. And, and from doing things from a while and also to kind of overcoming things in different sports, just by, you know, on purpose, I, I did aqua bike this present year because I suck at swimming. So how do I deal with, you know, um, putting yourself in a sport that you're not good at and then now trying to compete? So I kind of like those mental challenges and, and see how, you know, what goes through your head. And to me, when you've done that for a while, there's something you can pass on other people. So again, that series is going to be things from the mental viewpoint in terms of, how to, you know, what pops up on a regular basis and then, you know, how to deal with those things. Yeah. I, I think one of the biggest challenges, um, at least as far as I'm concerned, and maybe this applies to a lot of people as well, is uh, just making sure mentally that when you step on the court, you go out and play. And it doesn't mean in a bad way, but you go out and give it 100% every time. How do you how do you get that into your head? I mean, sometimes you get uh, I get on the court and uh, intentions are all good, and then suddenly I start to get a bit lazy, or you know, it it just uh, ment mentally I shut down somewhere along the way. Uh, I'd really like to be able to uh, to go out there and just play hard and play my best squash all the time. I mean, I I'm always for for, for you know for that one for example, it's like once you see it coming, you stop yourself right away. And it's one of those things to say, I'm, I'm going to train myself to only be, um, my, you know, my best and you're never your best, but I mean, you're trying, but once you know, you've dropped yourself, then you're on it like right away. Yeah. Um, cause over time, if you know, you said, Oh, or in many cases, people give themselves an, an excuse, you know, like, Oh, Hey, I had a hard day at work or I didn't get much sleep. Well, yeah. There you go. You just gave yourself that excuse. So there's a difference between you are tired and you try your hardest or go, well, I have an out because, um, you know, I was at work 
at, you know, six o'clock in the morning. I just got off work. It's, you know, six 30 and now I'm going right to the squash club and I'm exhausted. Okay. Well you are exhausted, but you try as hard as you can flip, flip the switch. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, having it where you're, and that's that part of that key is one, you get that recognition. So then you keep it at that, Hey, your best for the day is your best for the day. And then if you do that all the time, then then that's all you ever know. That's all you ever do. You know, the, the problem is when people give themselves that on off on off in terms of mentally being engaged. Um, I mean, you, know, you, might, like, you must have seen that uh, several times over the years uh, uh, with the juniors that you've coached. I'm sure, I mean, it's equally as common with, uh, with senior players as well, but uh, something, I guess, as a coach, if you can address it with a junior at a young age, it's something that they can carry, uh, carry forward with them and, and perhaps never really have to uh, deal with it too often. Uh, what would you say to a, to a junior when you see when you see them shutting down mentally like that it, or, or not giving it a hundred percent in a match when things start to uh, not go their way. Well, it's a combination of things to me. It's, it's, I always think it's like a, th- a three prong um, attack to any junior um, different from adults, but juniors to me, it, it's first and foremost, it's the junior um, it's the coach and the parent. It's those three. So if I see it as a coach, I'm going to point it out. I'm hoping the kid notices it. And then, you know, if a kid totally shuts down, you know, I want the parent to say something too. I mean, for sure. The more, you know, that's not, that's not appropriate. Hey, we don't mind supporting you in, in, you know, traveling. I mean, they're big investments to go to tournaments, like the cost, the time off of school, all those things. It's like, Hey, if you're going hundred percent done, if you happen to lose and you try your best, no problem. That's awesome. But if you're, kind of going to la la land and you lost your focus and you lost your match because you know, you, you disappeared that third game. No, that's not. And you know, that's kind of that tough love, which I think is appropriate. Um, and you know, you point it out because to me, the biggest thing is for not for me to point it out, but for me to point it out to who I'm working with for them, because the sooner they realize it, the better. It's, it's not, I, I, I view coaching not about me, about passing on information that they can get. It's, it's, I'm not a, you know, egotistical and like it's about me. I'm like, I want you to get what I'm talking about. Right. Not, not me reminding you. I, I can be that broken record, but the best thing is that you get what I say because that is the best way for them to be successful. Yeah. And a lot of coaches want to hear themselves talk. And I'm like, I prefer not to talk. <laughs> yeah, you, you listened. I, you know, I pointed it out. You listened. You got it. I'm like, perfect. I saw that you were thinking about it. I saw that you, you know, you see the, you know, whether it's someone, they know that they've lost the focus, and you know, whether they're, you know, bouncing the ball or they're, you know, wiping their hands, and they can see that they notice. It. I'm like, awesome. I just see that they lost their focus and they've got it back. I said, perfect. Right. Yeah. You give the, you get them the sort of. You let them know what happened. You give them a, maybe a technique to, to deal with it. And then you, you observe from there thereafter, right? Right. And that, that to me is that I don't need to be heard. You know, and I'm doing a good job. And I'll do it. I mean, if I have to do it, I have to do it. Um, but that's kind of, kind of my kind of coaching philosophy is I'm there to direct. But my point is for you to get the concept and you on the fly make those adjustments and then that's to me is like once they do that i'm like they got it this is awesome yeah that's practical isn't it because that's what you have to do uh that's that's what you're doing on the court yeah yep yep now now uh jamie is there anything we missed there uh with in terms of squash exchange because i'm I'm excited about it i I mean that's something i'm you know i'm obviously I, i just have my uh my junior, my, my career as a squash player to, to look back on and I, tw- and I create my own training based on that, but it's not something that's, uh, you know, I'm sure could be done better. So uh, your website uh, sounds great. Is there anything uh, that we missed in uh, laying it out? Yeah, there's, there's a fair amount. I'm trying to make it, there's a couple of fun t-shirts. Um, I, I can, people can send me um, videotapes where I can analyze you know, their game or an opponent. Um, I'm making myself available for, you know, coaching. People want to fly me in for a weekend of group coaching or whatever, or 
And um, then I also have this back to Nova Scotia, and the guys can pick you up in that van again. Yeah, yeah. Those were no, those were (laughs) those. That was in my youth. Um, And then I actually have a college college squash report, um, which has some great facts about um, colleges and kind of um, okay the rankings and kind of um, you know one of the 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 great um, kind of stats in the report is regarding. kind of the ratings of players on teams. So for example, if you want to happen to want to say play on uh, Colby's squash team, you can see uh, all the ratings from the high to low on that team. So you go, Hey, if I'm a 3.2 rated player, I need to be up to a 3.7 to make their team. Okay. Um, so it's, so this is all stuff a- that you, you've uh, dealt with over the years, obviously teach uh, head pro in Cincy and, and in uh, Buffalo stuff that you, you have to know pretty well yourself in order to uh, advise. Well, I, and I did not know it. So the, that was the thing. The point of the report was to come up with it and it's, you know, for whether it's parents or, or, or kids um, who might want to play for a college team in the U S to kind of go, Hey, here's, kind of the rating, the rankings, here's how they're trending. Um, so kind of pretty helpful ways and also a way to kind of motivate kids to say, Hey, right now I am this, you know, rating. And so I better, you know, for the next you know year, try to, you know, pick up my game. So I might be able to play on one of those teams. So I just look for as many ways to help motivate um, juniors as possible. And if this is one extra tool, Hey, great then it's a win-win for everybody. Well, uh, Jamie, it really does look like a, uh, an exciting new uh, add-on to uh, what we have already out there in the squash uh, world in terms of coaching and, and training, but it's something completely different. So uh, good luck with, uh, with this going forward. Great. Yeah. Thanks, Jerry. Now, uh, just before I go, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, bring this up. Um, now, back on our back on our first uh, the first episode, uh, you you told a, a fantastic anecdote uh, about Steve Lawton back in Egypt when you guys played in the uh, World Championship. Uh, I think it was 1985, where he got under uh, Swifty's uh, skin. I think uh, doing something. And as you know, he uh, he recently uh, retired from uh, from his position at VRC and retired from Canada. Actually, moved back to Australia. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, ask you to give us one more uh, Steve Lawton uh, anecdote before you go. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, they're just, they're just, there's, there's so many. So there's, <laughs> so when I, when I very, when I first started um, playing, um, this was in Calgary. Um, Steve was playing at the club and um, so I would be in the gallery and um, in the middle of the game, I would throw a squash ball from the stands and um, try to hit Steve in the middle of the game with the ball. <laughs> and, you know, like most, most pros would go, ha, 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 that's funny. Well, Steve um, – decided just to launch squash balls as hard as he could into the gallery, just firing them at me, <laughs> which is kind of funny because he never hit me. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, now, nowadays, if we're taking my eye out, it wouldn't have been that funny. But no, that was kind of just zero. Hey, you know, your kid throwing. And I just dropped them on him in the middle of a rally. It wasn't like I was like chucking them. But like Steve was, you know, Steve hit the ball hard. So oh, yeah. he would launch them into the, into the stand. <laughs> No doubt, yeah. He, and he, and he well, kind of what he what he stories because he never hit me. But ultimately, <laughs> if he would have hit me, I probably would have been a little you know a little tainted by the story. But it was I enjoyed it at the time, and I always remember kind of you know um, harassing Steve and then him launching squash balls at me. So that's a story that I can tell. Anyways, Jamie, uh, it was uh, it was great chatting with you. Great catching up. Uh, uh, all the best with the squash okay. exchange, and uh, hope we can do it again soon. Great. Thanks, Jerry. Cheers, buddy. All the best. Okay, take care. Bye. Well, thank you again so much, uh, Jamie, for that. And uh, for all of you who are listening and might be interested in uh, some personalized squash training by one of the best, uh, take a look at thesquashexchange.com. 
thesquashexchange.com and take a look at uh, what Jamie has to offer. I know that I'm looking forward to um, his breakdown of the young gun. Uh, hopefully that's coming up uh, in the very near future, the young gun being the guy who hits the ball a million miles an hour and covers the court uh, very, very quickly. So uh, those are the kinds of guys that tend to give me uh, trouble uh, these days and uh, a bit frustrating at times. But when you get stuck in and figure it out, you know, lifting the ball a little bit, slowing it down, uh, mixing it up uh, and not trying to... Uh, outfire and out, uh, outpace uh, the young gun. That seems to work uh, on occasion, but uh, I'd still like to hear what Jamie has to say about that and uh, about the other uh, different types of players that he has on his mind as well. But anyways, again, thanks, Jamie. And everyone, thank you for listening uh, to the podcast. We've got some really good episodes coming up. I know you're going to like it. Uh, Robert Evan, sorry, uh, Robert uh, Owens is coming up uh, very soon along with some other coaches and players so I know you're going to enjoy uh, the next few podcasts thanks again for listening and have a great day goodbye now